Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from The Resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to, and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. The thing that most people talk to me about wherever I go is the cost of living. I think government does have a role to play in bringing inflation down, and part of it is being responsible with borrowing. It might make everyone feel better in the short term to borrow lots of money to do lots of things, but ultimately it would just mean that prices stay higher for longer, mortgage rates stay higher for longer. I'm not going to do that. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Thursday the 17th of August. I'm Callum MacDonald. Lovely to be with you. And also here, Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. Uh, nice to be here. We um, Well, I feel, I'm feeling a bit jet-lagged um, this week because earlier in the week we did on our, on our other podcast, on the sister podcast, on Holyrood Sources, which looks at Scottish politics, we had a special um, programme, special episode with Hamza Youssef, the First Minister, um, with an audience of 100 people in the room. Um, you can go and listen to that. And indeed, we'll be discussing it, you and I, on the pod. But basically, it's left me feeling like I've travelled around the world 14 times in the last three days. <laughs> I think it's fair to say it was sponsored by the, is it the Scotch Whiskey Association? That's right, and they're made uh, to And be the central message... And they're made to be measured campaign, which is about drinking responsibly. So far be it from me to suggest that you might have ignored the central message of their campaign, but you had every right to celebrate. I know we're going to talk about it, but I have listened to it and it was a great listen. I learnt a lot and I would encourage anyone that hasn't listened to it yet to uh, to uh, link onto it and have a, have a listen because it's a great hour and a half of... Uh, political chat and all the nerdery that's the thing as well but it's quite yeah it's good massive nerdery <laughs> i loved it being a huge nerd myself i absolutely adored it well thank you and yeah we'll discuss it in a bit more detail what the first minister of scotland had to say uh, we'll do a little bit of that on whitehall sources for you this week as well just because it's a bit of a special one um just to mention too that we have got our eye on political party conference season 
Uh, more to come on that in the weeks ahead on Whitehall Sources. So make sure you're following and subscribed and you'll get updates on what our plans may be for Labour Party Conference and Conservative Party Conference in the weeks ahead. Um, how are you doing this week, Kirsty? Are you OK? Yeah, I'm good. Every day a little bolder, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, it's amazing what you can get used to in life, even something as grimola as chemo. So, um, but, you know, quite often I get sort of pick me up bits of news and I think we're going to talk about A-levels and it would be remiss of me not to give a shout out to Leo Gasparo, who I have known since he was a baby. Uh, and now he's like a six foot two uh, <laughs> young adult who's just smashed his A-levels and has got into the university of his choice. So uh, congratulations to him and the thousands, tens of thousands of other students today uh, who are mostly, I gather, I appreciate it's a slightly nuanced picture and we'll talk about that, but are mostly celebrating all their hard work and endeavours. They've had huge challenges between, you know, COVID uh, and teacher strikes and what have you and huge disruption to their education. Um, and I'm just delighted to say that looking at most of the results, they've, you know, they've smashed it, even though the government... Um, has taken the decision in England to uh, move grading back down to, uh, you know, 2019 pandemic levels, which has had some impact, but not as bad as people feared. Mm. Uh, we'll get into the detail of A-levels in a sec. I just want to read you this email from Amira, who we got a question from a couple of weeks ago, looking for advice on how to do the sort of job that you used to. Um, she said, hello, hope both of you are doing well. Just wanted to let Kirsty know about Peter Cardwell's book, and I'm enjoying it so far. Um, which is nice. So I think you should get commissioned for that one, shouldn't you? We need to get I'm Cardi delighted. P. We need to get Cardi <laughs> P to give you some royalties or something. I shall. I shall text Cardi afterwards and say, like, you know, sort uh, it out, Peter. Give take take me out for a pint when the chemo's done by way of thanks. But I'm really pleased that you're enjoying. It's a great read. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for being with us on Whitehall Sources. You can email anytime, hello at whitehallsources.com. If you've got questions or you want to be part of the conversation that we're having, perhaps you've just opened your A-level results and you want a special mention on next week's episode, then feel free. Let's get into the discussion on this then. Um, the, way that, the way the reporting on this is going is quite interesting. So here's the Times. Tens of thousands of teenagers have missed out after a record year-on-year -year fall in A-level grades following Minister's pledge to return the system to normal after the pandemic. The stats on this, 73,000 fewer A-stars and A's were awarded this year compared with 2022. And this is all kind of trying to, I suppose, correct or adjust grade inflation that cropped up during COVID because of the difficulties that came with COVID. Uh, meanwhile, The Telegraph puts it like this. More than a quarter of A-levels were awarded an A or A-star this year, despite a record drop as the government attempts to reverse, reverse pandemic-grade inflation. 27.2% of A-levels were awarded top grades, down from 36.4% last year, but is still higher than in any pre-pandemic year on record. So, with that in mind, Kirsty, there is a kind of return to normality Still a record-breaking year seems to be the feeling, but obviously that doesn't perhaps soften the blow or the crunch for many thousands of students this time out. Sure. And, um, uh, I mean, look, I, I texted you about A-levels this morning and I was sort of like, oh, they're not that bad, or they are quite bad. And, I, and it's one of those complicated stories because uh, depending on how a media wants to take it, it is quite a nuanced picture. 
Um, uh, and if I can encourage people to uh, play back on Times Radio and listen to Nicola Walcott, who's the education editor of Times, she does an extremely good run-through of uh, what a complex and nuanced picture this is. And in essence, she makes um, uh, a couple of points that I think should be borne in mind, and this is why you've got these kind of big disparities in some of the takes on the headlines, at least, uh, although the copy underneath is actually good in having a kind of rigorous run-through of, of what has and hasn't happened, but the headlines are a bit skewed depending on how pro-government your paper is, in essence. Um, but she does a very good run-through of it, and one of the things that she said that I thought was most important is, yes, there is a drop... Uh, sorry, there is an increase in the amount of students going through the clearing places, in other words, the ones that haven't had... Uh, the grades that they wanted to secure the place in the university they wanted, but it is only slightly up. I think it was 79% uh, up to 81% this year. Uh, but what Nicola did point out, which I also think is interesting to note, is there's more of a regional disparity. So by and large, pupils in the southeast and London uh, have fared better, um, and uh, pupils in the northeast. Uh, have fared worse and I think that is going to be the kind of growing story of the day because it flags uh, issues that have um, uh, dogged throughout since Boris Johnson was elected about you know levelling up uh, the promises made on levelling up um, and the fact that you know uh, that agenda seems to have gone slightly mm. by the wayside anyway it was never really refined and defined uh, to a sense that anybody could say what it what it meant, but it's hard to imagine a levelling up agenda that doesn't start with uh, equity, uh, regional equity in um, uh, education, because that feeds into everything, into skills, into jobs, uh, into the universities that you could get into, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that is probably the emerging story for the day, and certainly the ones that you'd expect those big regional papers to be picking up on. Yeah. Uh, and seeing through the lens of a, of a levelling up agenda. The other thing to note is that um, in Wales and Northern Ireland, they have taken a kind of softer drop-off approach, if you like, um, to uh, how the grades are seen in relation to pandemic, and that has had a uh, consequential effect on their grades too. They're slightly better than those in England. Mm. Uh, so, again, I don't think it will stop the criticism of, of this government's uh, you know, relatively hardline approach on it. But, you know, for, for the vast majority of pupils, they will get the places that they want in the universities that they want. Uh, I appreciate that it's a very stressful time for those that don't and uh, there are more clearing places and there's a lot of support out there for uh, those pupils and, and their families, which obviously we would encourage them to to access. But, for you know, for the vast majority of pupils... They'll be happy. They'll probably be in the pubs today. <laughs> uh, and, you know, congratulations to them for all their hard work mm. in situations, challenging situations that I can't imagine having to cope with when I was that age. Um, you know, so just a just a brilliant kind of hats off to all of them because, Absolutely. you know, nobody, you know, if, you know, the pandemic was stressful for everyone, but, you know, try and have, you know, your whole life, you know, charted by or what you think at the time is your whole life charted by its hit on effect on your mm. on your education and your grades. And I listened to Gillian Keegan this morning oh, and yeah. she said, look, in 10 years time, no one's 
No one's going to care what your A-level results are. Um, and look, that's true, but that's a hard thing to hear today if you are disappointed and upset um, and feel bruised by the results you've got. So, you know, I thought the timing of that was a bit off, but the, mm. but the message is right. You are, you know, you are one university degree away from no-one really caring whether you got an A or a B or a C. And once you've got a job off the back of your university, if that's where you, you know, if that's how you want to go in life... Um, you know, you're one job away from no one caring about that. I mean, I did A levels. They, I had mediocre O level results, to be honest. I mean, much better than my parents would have expected, given that I was not the most well behaved child at grammar <laughs> oh, <really>? school. Um, <laughs> I sh I'm sure that shocks you. That is shocking. Um, and uh, honestly, if one of these days I'll read you my. Uh, I still got them because they're very funny. My school reports, NVA school reports, which were. Uh, borderline defamatory in place. Um, but anyway, so I digress. Look, I got very mediocre GCSE results. I got pretty average A-level results. I only took two A-levels for a start. And then I took uh, T-line uh, because my mum said... And typing because my mum said the world would always need secretaries. What's T-line? Uh, so T-line is shorthand. Oh, right. It's journalism shorthand as oh, well. Gosh. So as it, as it turns out, when I got into journalism college, I was... You know, I was heads heads above everybody else because I already had like seventy words a minute tea line. Whoa! Um, but you know, it says something about my mum's faith in my ability to, <laughs> at the time, to, to to have a successful career. And then I, you know, I went to Kingston University and got you know a pretty average two one. Yeah. And who cares? The you party know? degree. You get a job and no one. And at hand to God, no one has ever said to no. me and looked at my CV. I mean, look, I haven't had my education on my CV for. Many years now, but uh, but even at the time, no one looked at it. No, I agree. Nobody's ever asked me what I got for my degree at all. They ask me what my degree is in, and it's in politics, but they've never asked me what I actually got, which, for the record, was a 2-1 as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think that timing of Gillian Keegan's comment, I agree with that. That's slightly odd because... As we all know, as, as as pupils, you build up to a day like today for and your results so for so long after you've had your exams. There's that initial elation of finishing your exams, which, by the way, I think there's a discussion as to the merit of even doing exams in the first place. I was very fortunate that I could do mm. them and I could pass them, and I was you know relatively happy with how they went. But actually, is it an effective way of assessing people's abilities? And is it a modern way of, of assessing people's abilities? Because actually, if I can recite how a waterfall is formed in a geography exam, and the person next to me can't, but they are exceptionally talented when it comes to designing a house or building something or something more practical, then actually, why are we in the same place being assessed on the same thing when it's, you know, it's completely futile as to our but in fact, both of our directions of travel, me going to uni, them going on to do something else. I don't. I, I just feel like exams might be up for grabs a little bit in the next few years, whether they are a modern way of assessing people's ability to do basically anything. It's an extremely good point, and I couldn't agree more. Look, my oldest son has ADHD. Uh, he also has some of the... Uh, He's also incredibly bright and has some of the best critical analysis you'll ever find yeah. in a in a sixteen year old kid. You know he frequently gets the better of me uh, in kind of discussions, and my critical analysis is not shabby. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's not wired for exams, yeah. you know, and giving him fifteen minutes extra uh, is you know 
compared to the fact that he's had a very disrupted education because uh, he was diagnosed late, you know, it, 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 it's just, you know, one size doesn't fit all, and this is the trouble with education. It is a very kind of, you know, one size fits all kind of thing. And that, you know, I, I you know, I work um, uh, for, a, for an organisation called Black Introvert Week, which is all about... You know the um, the double kind of challenge faced by being black in the classroom and having an introvert personality, or you know any introvert pupils. You know modern teaching, you know encourages you know pupils to join in discussions and speak up and all of that kind of stuff and socialising children. And those that you know prefer quiet mm. study and you know think before and process before they speak out are often mislabeled as shy or struggling, which is not the case at all. So. You know, it's a very difficult to have a one-size-fits-all kind of education system. And, you know, again, I come back to that brilliant book, the David Goodhart book. You know, we're also in this generational cusp where, you know, parents are still thought of, you know, still say to the kids when you need to go A-levels and you need to go to university at the very time when AI is coming for a whole range of, of you know, white-collar middle-income jobs, there is no graduate pay premium anymore because New Labour's understandable desire to get more people into university, 50% of people into university, has had the consequential knock-on effect that, you know, we've over-emphasised, you know, cognitive ability in this country over, you know, caring professions at a very time we're suffering a demographic time bomb. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, uh, skilled professions, things that you, you know, make with your hands, whether that's, you know, artisanal bread or whether that's, you know, a microbrewery or whether that's carpentry or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if I had one thing, you know, one sort of push that people really like to understand is that, you know, people need to understand that T-levels are not, you know, a kind of second-class option for pupils. So they're actually a really smart option for the future of your kids right now. Yeah. You know, sending your kids right now, uh, unless they want to. And look, this is this is a family choice and a, and, a, and, a, and a young adult's choice. But you know, my ability back in my day to to indulge in a humanities degree um, because you know, I was kind of good at English. That's going to do me no favors if I was going into university now. Mm. Whereas if I have, you know, if I haven't got the grades or you know, education isn't for me or university isn't for me. T-levels will unlock a world of possibilities for you in the future that, you know, that actually in 10, 20 years' time, you know, you might find, you know, if you've got one of those kind of mid-ranking, middle-class jobs, uh, you know, you'll be replaced yes. by AI and perhaps, perhaps more rapidly than 10 years. I yeah. mean, we were, you know, we were discussing at work yesterday some, uh, you know, AI and its place in data and insights and we one of our... One of the members of our of our team set up a you know a bot of himself, chat bot of himself, and it's uncanny. Yeah. I mean, really uncanny, you know. Um, so I don't know, me saying ten or twenty years probably says more about my lack of technical understanding. <laughs> it's probably you know, uh, but you know, there's a there's a line in the um, Goodhart book, and it's not his; it's somebody else's. But it's about Brexit, and he said, you know, you wait till all those middle class people who you know, who looked down on people that voted for Brexit, you know, uh, and voted Remain. I'm, I can't remember the link between this and this, so forgive me. But, mm -hmm. you know, you wait till AI comes for their jobs. 
and see how disillusioned they become. Yeah. Um, and it kind of stuck with me, really. So, I mean, look, my son's going to do carpentry and, I, you know, it's one of the most sensible decisions he's, he's ever made mm-hmm. um, because I've stopped trying to, you know, view his path through what worked in my generation. It mm. won't work for his generation. Mm. Not, not for everybody. You mentioned the um, sort of gap, the regional disparities, I suppose, in results as well. And it's something that I wanted to mention in the context of Scottish exam results too, which uh, were last week, of course. And it's worth noting that since 2020, the gap between the proportion of rich and poor students getting A to C grades in their hires widened from six percentage points in 2020 to 16 in 2023. And so any progress made on closing that attainment gap since 2018 has been wiped out and the current divide is within a percentage point of that which was recorded in 2019 and that covers all national exams and was reflected in results as well. Nicola Sturgeon told the people of Scotland that improving the education system and closing the attainment gap was uh, what she wanted to be judged on. I want to be judged on this. It was a defining mission. Those are quotes to close that poverty-related attainment gap. And so I think, Kirsty, actually, the kind of results from across the UK, whether it's A-levels today, GCSEs, which are still come to come, uh, Scottish results, which are already out, actually, that there is such a story in that, in that there is a postcode lottery when it comes to education. And it's something that we have grappled with and struggled with across the UK. And it's not in good shape at all. No, it's not. Um, and the regional disparities are... Uh... Uh, you know, by and large, where you'd expect them to be, like I say, it's mm. going to it's going to uh, reignite the debate about levelling up uh, in Westminster uh, and in Scotland. You know, going into a general election, um, you know, leaving aside the <laughs> internal uh, problems that the SNP has, its record on delivery across the board, by any measure, is is one of failure and. You know, I was listening to your brilliant uh, uh, Holyrood podcast. What a segue. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And the First Minister was saying that he too wants to be judged on delivery and they've got a new policy platform they're going to be unveiling. Um, But, you know, just as the general election will be viewed uh, for the Conservatives in Westminster uh, as 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 a verdict on the delivery of what I think will be 14 years of Conservative rule by then. Mm-hmm. Um, so the SNP should be judged on its delivery and looking across the piece at education, particularly at NHS, um, uh, and, you know, its central mission to, you know, deliver independence, um, to coin a terrible pun, you know, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to give it a, you know, at best a, well, not even a four, probably a three, a fail. <laughs> In GCSE language, um, you know, uh, and definitely not an A star or anything like. So uh, they should be put into the clearinghouse. Um, and I can't, you know, and I just, I, I just don't see, uh, I just don't see of how, you know, if you're judging on delivery, then then you can look at what's happening in Scotland mm. and and find anything other than, you know, throwing your hands up in despair. Stay with us on Whitehall Sources because we're going to discuss more on what Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister of Scotland, had to say during that special episode of our other podcast, our sister podcast, Hollywood Sources. Uh, We'll discuss that. Plus, Rishi Sunak says we should all feel better off by next year. Hmm. 
Is he right? Will we feel better off? We'll discuss that before at the end of this episode. Stay with us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. News has reached us from our friends at the Resident Hotels, without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022, and the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically, What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, book The Resident. This is Whitehall Sources. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, We've got lots to discuss. We're going to discuss inflation. We're going to discuss kind of the economy at large, I suppose, because of the Prime Minister's comments that we should all feel better off next year. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, first, though, should we just do a little bit more on Hamza Youssef on uh, on the Hollywood Sources podcast? Uh, we sat down with him, myself and Jeff Aberdeen, who was Alex Salmon's chief of staff, and Andy McKeever, who was director of communications for the Scottish Conservatives. We sat down with Hamza Youssef in front of a live audience of more than 100 people, and we talked about a whole range of issues, everything from the by-election in Rutherglen and Hamilton West, which is upcoming at a date to be decided, to the Butte House Agreement, which ties the Green Party in with the SNP to form a sort of coalition in government in Holyrood, uh, to his, yeah, his record on delivery, uh, what he wants to actually achieve. The full discussion is about 90 minutes. It's well worth your time. You can go and find that in the Holyrood Sources feed. Um, Kirsty, I just wanted a few thoughts from you because, yes, your critical analysis is great, second to none indeed, and it's nice to hear what you have to think, what you have to say about the First Minister's um, appearance. And I suppose... I suppose what you learned, if, if you were to say what, what you learned from listening to Hamza Yusuf speak for 90 minutes, what are the kind of headlines for you, do you think? And either in terms of actual news headlines or in terms of about him or what you didn't hear, what, what were your perceptions? Um, well, I'm interested to hear what your kind of big takeaways were from it too. Um, and it got buckets of coverage. Mm. Um uh, plenty of, of headlines, uh, most of them focused on 
this kind of uh, adherence and confidence in the uh, coalition agreement with uh, the Greens, and you asked him, you know, will you still be confident that that will be in place in 2026? And he didn't miss a beat and said yes, you know, um, even though it causes them all kinds of, uh, you know, presentational and reputational issues. Um, But uh, I thought a couple of things, actually, about him. I mean, the premise of it, and it started, you know, and and Jeff asked him this very clearly... um, was about, you know, we don't know a lot about Hamza Youssef, Mm. you know. Your, you know, your your leadership has been overshadowed. We, you know, we get that, you know, uh, by uh, everything that's going on with the SNP. But this is your chance to say, you know, who you are, what you believe, uh, what your convictions are and what your vision is for Scotland, you know. And you couldn't have been clear on that. And it was an open platform i think for him to to open up a bit more but i think uh you know i think for him it felt a little bit like a missed opportunity for me i didn't get a sense of that emotional conviction why he went into politics what he thinks you know he can do for scotland why he why it matters to him that he you know has this opportunity what his vision is and i know he kept on saying oh well you know we've got a policy platform coming out, Mm. wait and see. Well, that's all a bit dry. That doesn't stop you from saying, you know, I went into politics for this. You know, I believe Scotland in the next, you know, 30, 40 years has the ability to do, you know, this, you know, X, Y and Z. Um, You know, uh, we have a great opportunity to, to, to back Scotland. You know, this isn't about independence, SNP, you know, uh, can fight for the good of Scotland in a way that, you know, the Tories never will or, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lots of missed opportunities, I think, to take a pop, particularly in the run-up to a 2024 election where a lot hinges on uh, how many seats Labour will uh, take from the SNP. Um, there was a lot of missed opportunities there to, 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 to frankly go on the attack. He felt far more defensive um, than that. So I didn't... You know, he had some good retorts. Uh, he seemed perfectly likable, but I didn't get a deeper sense of the guy and I didn't get a sense of a real, you know, a, a kind of... It was almost kind of politics absent apart from answering the questions. You know, he didn't mm. move into attack lines. Mm. He didn't spell out his convictions. Um, and I didn't come away from it with a, sen- a, a better sense of who he was. Um and that I think, you know, given, like I say, that Jeff was very, uh, you know, very clear that that's what, you know, that was what was wanted and needed from him, not just for the podcast and yeah. um, and, and the listeners of that, but for the people of Scotland. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think he missed a beat on that one, if I'm going to be honest. I think on that, and I think I agree with you, because I think there's a... Perhaps it's unkind, but I think it is just the reality that if you are teasing ahead, as you say, to the kind of policy announcement, in this case, the Scottish Government Programme for Government is what it's called, which will come in the new session. If you're teasing ahead to it, it almost sounds as though you don't know what you think right now. And in in some things, that's probably fine. But actually, a lot of the issues that he'll have to address in the Programme for Government 
are issues now and they're not new issues. They are things like the cost of living crisis and, as you say, the education system in Scotland, the health service in Scotland, the ongoing um, campaign to try to get the road, the A9 main road between the Highlands and the Central Belt to turn that into full dual carriageway rather than patchy dual carriageways it is now. That's been an SNP promise for years, basically forever. And so actually, if you don't know what you think on these things, then it, so it and you're throwing ahead to the programme for government, it just sounds like you're undecided. And it made me think of um, speaking to Jack McConnell, former First Minister of Scotland, who said that he acted on advice from Tony Blair, actually, when he took over. And Tony Blair said, it is all well and good to listen to advisors, that's what they're there for, and to listen to people who know things. Of course, that's what you should do. But at some point, you have to take yourself into a room by yourself and sit and deliberately think about where you stand on the issues. And McConnell says he then sort of, he did that, you know, over a period of time, and he came out and basically wrote um, the foreword to Labour, Scottish Labour's um, election manifesto. And uh, he was then told by people around him, that they were like, this is the most clear outline we have ever seen from you on what you think and what you stand for. And I think that's the key thing um, with Hamza Yusuf is he's not he's not really done that. And you know you're right there are there are reasons that his his few months so far have been overshadowed. But there's an argument that actually if he you know he's the first minister of Scotland he commands the news agenda. You know you can cut through that. Uh, one of the things he did he ran as the continuity candidate of course you know picking up where Nicola Sturgeon left off in terms of running the SNP and and the country. Actually he could have kind of achieved a respectful distance from Nicola Sturgeon quite quickly had he chosen to is the other part of that and therefore said look the police investigation is the police investigation that's over there in lots of ways it's nothing to do with me here's what I'm doing um and I think the other bit just so it feeds into this uh is he he noted in the podcast um, he said, most politicians end up being people pleasers. I'm interested for your thoughts on that, Kirsty. But as a leader, you can't sit on the fence. You can't be mealy-mouthed. You have to pick a side. And frankly, that's going to pee some people off. Now, that's fine, but <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's annoying people on the wrong issues at the moment, as far as he's concerned. His own party's eating itself over this deal with the Greens. So whether that's cutting through to the Scottish public or not, I'm not sure. But I, I know for a fact that in some areas like the Highlands and Islands, it does have cut through because lots of these green policies directly come for the Highlands and Islands, whether it's over highly protected marine areas. That's, great, that's probably the prime example, actually. So I think there is some cut through. But also, you're annoying people on the wrong things. Annoy people for the right reasons. And actually, you, you probably do all right. And on that, and on this I'll finish, Alex Salmon said to, our, to the podcast as well uh, a few weeks ago now, but he said he used to pick fights with Westminster where he knew he had the people of Scotland on side. Because when you do that, you've got a real forceful argument to make. And Westminster really, in some cases, might not have a leg to stand on. He actually pointed to um, well, what they call the bedroom tax and the Scottish government's offsetting of the bedroom tax, which he said they probably, in, in the grand scheme of things, did not have the authority to do. But actually, because the people of Scotland were on side, it was very hard to actually push back against that and say, look, you don't have the right to do that. Wind your necks in. And so I think there's a kind of overarching thing there that perhaps Yusuf is picking the wrong issues on which to annoy people. Yeah, and I and it was it was interesting to see, um, particularly when he was pressed around this relationship with the Greens and the damage that is causing to SNP. Uh, he kept on using the word pragmatic, mm. 
and it brought me back to a discussion I had when I was a journalist with David Cameron. Um, and I kind of struggled for a long time with David Cameron in much the same way as I'm kind of struggling with, with Hamza Youssef about, you know, what are you for? What do you stand for? What are your convictions? What are your beliefs? And uh, and I kind of came to the conclusion with David Cameron, he didn't really have that many. And this was no. largely brought on a interview I had with him and I sort of said to him you know look and I know there are problems with conviction politicians I mean Margaret Thatcher was a conviction politician um uh and you know conviction of doing you know thinking that he was doing the right thing you know took Britain into the Iraq war and you know convictions can have terrible consequences mm. but what they do bring the public uh is clarity about where a leader stands and if they're if if you know, sometimes uh, uh, you know being in tune with where the public stands uh, and representing the values of the public, and I and I asked uh, David Cameron about all this, and I said, well, how would you view yourself? You know, you don't view yourself as a uh, as a conviction politician, and he said, well, I'm a principled pragmatist, and don't knock principled pragmatism, but. The thing with prag principle pragmatism is it means your your views and your positioning constantly shifts to the events around you, mm. um, and that leaves you at danger of of having, you know, of lacking clarity to the voters about who you are and what what motivates you, uh, and also worse than that, shifting away from you know the people's priorities. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I was struck by the fact that, you know, Hamza didn't talk about the cost of living crisis and he had every opportunity to. He didn't talk about, you know, his desire to drive up standards in the NHS and he didn't talk about, uh, you know, his desire to drive up standards in education. All we got is, you know, we've got a policy platform coming, wait and see. Yeah. But that doesn't stop you saying, exactly, you know, anything uh, about the things that people you know, are most, uh, you know, impacted on and care about most in, in Scotland. And, and look, I might be, um, I might be sort of over-romanticising Scotland here, but, you know, there is a big kind of divide for English people about people who are fiercely proud to be English and people who are quite conflicted about England uh, on a number of reasons and being English. Um, uh, but I don't, you know, whether you back independence or whether you're a unionist, you know, I think it's probably fair to say, and do correct me if I'm wrong, that everybody in Scotland is fiercely proud yeah, to be Scottish. Definitely. Um, and so there is a real opportunity for a first minister to to connect with people um, and to create a, you know, a motive, uh, inspiring vision for the Scotland that you want to see mm. that would resonate with everyone. And it just, you know, again, I didn't, I didn't get that from him. I got a kind of, you know. Uh, I want to deliver, wait and see what's in the policy platform, you know, and, and, and it all felt a bit, he felt a bit dry to me and, it, yeah. and he, you know, uh, and I think that's because if you plant your feet firmly in pragmatism, uh, you know, the, the, the risk you run is, is, like I say, is, is lacking your ability to connect to what matters to, to voters and lacking, uh, almost as importantly, lacking clarity to mm. voters about, you know, what you're for. 
You can uh, share your thoughts, of course. Go and have a little listen to Hamza Youssef. It's in the other feed in Hollywood sources. Uh, have a little search for that podcast if you've not already. Thanks for listening to it, Kirsty. Always, I'm very grateful for your insight and your wisdom on uh, on these sorts of things because it was well, it was really cool. It was really exciting. Um, it was very adrenaline heavy, <laughs> I have to say. Oh, it was look, it was it was when the when the sequel surpasses the original, mate. It was uh, <laughs> no, not at all. It was it was brilliant. Not and, at all. Uh, Hats off to you and the whole team. It was well, a, it was a really great listen. I really was, enjoyed it. Thank you. It was really really good fun. Uh, right. Well, we were talking about a bit about cost of living there, so I feel like we should address this because it is the the you know it is the issue of our times, isn't it? Um, Rishi Sunak has been speaking to Stephen Swinford of the Times, saying that we'll all feel better off next year. Says the Prime Minister. He's going to he's pl- promised to tame inflation. Says Stephen Swinford by maintaining discipline on public spending and tax. He says he passionate, passionately believes that he can bring down inflation and revive economic growth, that he's really optimistic about the future and confident that inflation would fall enough to ease the cost of living crisis next year. Inflation has fallen from 7.9% to 6.8% last month. Those figures came this week. And wages are now higher than inflation for the first time since September 2021. Hooray, we all shout. Um, so is this the cost of living crisis beginning to ease? Is this is this a reason for optimism for Rishi Sunak, both politically and I think I think in reality that actually the country will feel better off? That's what he's saying. Uh, well, I think a couple of things. I think one, um, uh, it's obviously uh, gives the government some uh, breathing space on one of its five priorities uh sorry five people's priorities um but it's still squeaky bum time right um you know uh energy prices uh and food prices are you know have peaked and that is behind the fall but core inflation which is uh uh you know basically wages um has you know stayed the same um is at a 30 year high and is higher than most of europe and because we are by and large a service sector uh you know it's likely that you know we can look forward to another interest rate rise in september from the bank of england and possibly even another one in october Mm. um because they're still worried about core inflation now um you know there is some good news i think that you know um uh, the IFS uh, has suggested that you know Rishi Sunak's I think it's five point two five point yeah five point two uh, inflation target will probably probably be met by the end of the year. Mm. Um, but you know prices are still rising, <laughs> mortgages are still rising, interest rates are likely to rise at least in September, um, and that means a lot more kind of mortgage pain for people. So. You know, and the other thing that you know you need to bear in mind about inflation is it's not you know it's falling, but it's it's falling to the point that you know this is this this is the pace at which stuff is still rising, still rising, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, so people, you know, as I think we've said, you know, several times before on the podcast, you know, things moving in the right direction or even targets being hit don't necessarily translate to people feeling better off. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't have calibrated it like that. That wouldn't have been my measure of success if I was was commsing this. 
I would have said something along the lines of, you know, look, we said that it was necessary to squeeze out inflation. You know, that is a first step. Um, and we look like we're on track to meet our target, you know, uh, but there's a, you know, there's a lot more to do, but there is, you know, I'll put some light at the end of the tunnel because there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's a long old tunnel still, right? Yeah. Um, here I go mixing my metaphors again. <laughs> uh, but it is a long old tunnel and I, and I don't, and I don't think, you know, it will have to go some, I think, for people to feel better next year, better off next year. Mm. Um, it really will, and I just think that was a little bit over calibrated for me from a comms position. Um, but you know, but we shall see. And you know, uh, you know, if you set yourself five targets as well, and you meet one uh, by the seat of your pants, um, and we'll see where we do on the others. But you know, hands up, who thinks yeah. we're going to hit? You know, uh, NHS waiting times falling, or you know, once we go through another winter. Um, and the junior doctor strike remains unsolved and, uh, you know, lots of other people will fall into rising mortgage costs and, you know, judging by what he's saying about, um, you know, needing to keep a tight grip on the public finances, I don't see the rail strike ending any time soon. Um, and, you know, I noticed that the DFT snuck out that there'd be another rail rate rise, uh, which which will hit in March, so that will hit... You know, possibly as we go into a, a general election campaign. Um, yeah, the feel-good factor feels, you know, quite some way off, I think. Far off, yeah. Uh, on waiting lists, of course, the latest data shows that NHS waiting lists are up. There are more people on the waiting lists. On junior doctors, notably, um, in Scotland, they've accepted a 12.4% salary increase. Uh, so that takes away the immediate threat of strike action in Scotland. And of course, when that happens, you often kind of look at the outstanding disputes and wonder if it's a template for how a, how a, a dispute could be resolved elsewhere. Uh, and I suppose the other thing to mention is the, kind of the political ins and outs of all of this for Rishi Sunak, because the Times piece notes that Tory MPs are now calling for tax cuts. I mean, it was ever thus, wasn't it? But suggesting that unfunded borrowing would only exacerbate inflation is um, is what Rishi Sunak said. That was his kind of pushback. Um, so he's rejected those calls. I, I, what, what's your read, Kirsty? The theme of this podcast since we started has been divisions in the Tory party. It felt in, in Stop the Boats Week that those immigrations were mo- perhaps more obvious than they had been for for some time. I just wonder if the economy is is still proving to be quite a divisive issue among Conservative MPs. Yeah, because we're still having the same argument we had in the leadership contest. Yeah. It's saying that sequential argument that, you know, be, between those that rallied behind Liz Truss, which is a, is, a, is a substantial rump of the parliamentary party and a significant, uh, uh, you know, rump of the, of the Tory membership and core Conservative philosophy that... You know, you are nothing if you're not a party for lower taxes uh, and a smaller state. Um, you know, all of which has been obliterated by uh, a series of black swan events. Um, and you get back to the point where, you know, you had Liz Truss arguing, well, you know, tax cuts will unleash growth and be the foundation of, of growth. And Rishi Sunak, who is a fiscal conservative, of course he is, um, his hero is Margaret Thatcher. Um but, you know, like Margaret Thatcher, he also argues that you squeeze out inflation before you get to tax cuts. And we're not, you know, self-evidently, we're not there yet. Um, 
you know, and whether you'll be there in time for a general election again remains to be seen. And I'm not entirely sure, you know, whether that would backfire anyway. Um, so, you know, you know, we come back to the to to the you know the the point. You've got a lot of uh, competing priorities in the Conservative Party. It's not a united party. It won't unite before the election. I read, I think, earlier this week that, you know, uh, the centrists within the Conservative Party are regrouping and, you know, planning to plant their flag against what they see as a sort of alarming, ever-increasing capture by the right rump of the party. Um, and they are kind of rallying and regrouping, you know. And I have some sympathy with, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak on that. He's trying to... Uh, deal with a horrendous intray, a terrible legacy, mm. uh, and a party that still insists on, you know, forming a circular firing squad at every available opportunity, even though there's a general election coming down mm. the down the pike. So, uh, you know, um, you can't, you know, you have to make choices that, you know, in part are dictated by the demands of your own party. I mean, that is the reality. Uh, of leadership sometimes um it is extraordinary given the majority that you know that this balancing act is so difficult still but you know like i say you know you, you're fighting you know you're fighting on ideological grounds here um and uh there is a big like i say there's a big and substantial rump that you know that that wants a tougher much much tougher line on immigration um and you know a derogation from European Convention uh, and wants tax cuts and they want them now, yeah. you know, or at least in the run-up to the general election. And they're not going to be silenced. Um, and to some certain extent, you know, they have to, they have to be listened to uh, and like it or not, to some certain extent, appeased. Yeah. Oh, well, will we all feel better off next year? It remains to be seen. Um, your confidence level, if you've got one. Email us, hello at whitehallsources.com to get in touch. I think that just about does it for today. By the way, thank you for not commenting on the podcast on my um, excessively large microphone uh, cover, <laughs> which, which is the size of my head. Uh, well, now, see, now you've brought it up. Uh, uh, Callum, who is obsessed by the sound quality uh, of the podcast in a way that I am not, if anyone could hear the uh, insane seagulls giving it loudly on the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, giving it loudly on the on the on the chimney pot opposite my house, and I can't even bother to shut the door on them. Has bought this kind of what's the technical term for well, it? Is it just the microphone, or is it a no? It's technically or is it a microphone? So it's it's basically hat. It's it? it's basically a hat. It's um. So the idea is, you know, those so they're technically called microphone muffs, I believe, where you you sort of put a normal sized one over it to stop it popping when you say like p. Um. Well, this one is um. Well, it is the size of a football, and the idea is that it's supposed to help soundproof the microphone from the from the echoes in the room. But every time I look at it, <laughs> I have to stop myself laughing because it is absolutely ridiculously large. <laughs> so I would I would encourage you, if you like, to put a screen grab on uh, that I'm not in, yeah. but that you and your new microphone muff that is the size of your head uh, on uh, on Twitter for general amusement. And I have insisted that you buy a couple of googly eyes for it. Yeah, I need to put some googly uh, eyes on the side. You know. I can hide behind it uh, if I go this it's, way. It's... 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it genuinely... I, mean, I think it's bigger than your head. I don't think it's the size of your head. I think you could legit hide behind it. Oh, and I can spend the whole of next week talking to a you know googly-eyed microphone muff. <laughs> Um, just for my own, just for my own amusement. Oh dear! Well, uh, thank you for you maintaining go. a straight face throughout. Uh, Kirsty, thank you. Always, I'm, I'm a professional, <laughs> Callum. What can I tell you? Always good to speak to you. Uh, we will have more on Whitehall sources next week. Hollywood sources exists for you. If you'd like to go and listen to Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister of Scotland, feel free to do that. Uh, we've got more political analysis. Hey, we're getting close to the new parliamentary term, actually, in the next few weeks. Parliament will be back from recess. Things will really ramp up from there as well. So do stay with us from Whitehall Sources. There's lots to come, and we will talk to you again next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.